friends. Welcome to Girl Empowered, a podcast with Ophelia's Plays designed to inspire, educate, and empower you and the girls in your life. I'm your host, River Allen. I'm really excited about today's episode. So today I'm going to talk about International Day of the Girl Child, sometimes just shortened to International Day of the Girl. Um, Tell you a little bit about it, how it started, what it's about. I'm also looking forward to highlighting some just powerful, amazing rock star hero slash shiro voices known to probably most of you, but just a chance to kind of celebrate and uplift their voices and the activism of young women around the world, which makes sense considering that we're going to talk about International Day of the Girl and the needs and accomplishments of the girls in our lives and everywhere. Thank you for joining me. And let's go ahead and talk about International Day of the Girl Child. What it's become is a day of a kind of a global day, actually, of activism, highlighting the disparities girls face, as well as the incredible resilience, creativity and achievement of girls around the world. So certainly to highlight the needs and where the work needs to be done. Um, and a lot of that can be done by highlighting the girls out there who are doing great work and who are demanding that their voices be heard. It's also a call to action for societies to elevate and support girls' education and empowerment, which we know benefits all societies, all cultures. We even have research now that talks about um, educating and uplifting girls is potentially the single most powerful thing we can do to transform our human societies um, into ones where everyone can thrive, where our planet is taken care of, and where we all have a future big, bold statement. Yes, I know. Also, I think true. So pretty excited to explore this a little bit with you. Let me start by going back in time. I'm going to rewind us to 1995 at the World Conference on Women in Beijing. Countries who were attending the conference unanimously adopted the Beijing Declaration and Platform for Action, which was the most progressive blueprint ever for advancing the rights not only of women, but girls. And the Beijing Declaration is the first to actually specifically call out girls' rights and name them. Then on December 19th, 2011, fast forwarding a little bit, the United Nations General Assembly adopted Resolution 66-170 to declare October 11th as the International Day of the Girl Child in order to recognize girls' rights and the unique challenges girls face around the world. Pretty big deal. So International Day of the Girl Child focuses attention on the need to address the challenges girls face and to promote girls' empowerment and the fulfillment of their human rights. Cue cheering. Yes, all about this. So adolescent girls have the right to a safe, educated, and healthy life, not only during these critical formative years, but also as they mature into women. If effectively supported during the adolescent years, girls have the potential to change the world both as the empowered girls of today and tomorrow's workers, mothers, entrepreneurs, mentors, household leads, and political leaders. An investment in realizing the power of adolescent girls upholds their rights today and promises a more equitable and prosperous future, one in which half of humanity is an equal partner in solving the problems of climate change, political conflict, economic growth, disease prevention, and global sustainability. Girls are breaking boundaries and barriers posed by stereotypes and exclusion, including those directed at children with disabilities and those living in marginalized communities. 
As entrepreneurs, innovators, and initiators of global movements, girls are creating a world that is relevant for them and future generations. Yes, 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 yes. And that text is from the United Nations webpage specifically addressing International Day of the Girl Child. You should definitely check it out. Every year, International Day of the Girl has a theme and usually kind of relevant to what's happening in contemporary issues or what's facing girls um, in a more global way since it's a global event. So unsurprisingly, 2021 is Digital Generation, Our Generation. So um, this makes a lot of sense in general, I think we can acknowledge, certainly um, in the last 2020, 2021 um, debacle of, <laughs> of time. Um, and in fact, one of the kind of UN identified issues for girls is and women is the digital gender divide. So I'll talk about that in a second. Um, but basically, the theme addresses the growing importance of digital access for learning, connecting and working. So as I mentioned a second ago, especially evident during the global pandemic, right, when most students had to find ways of learning from home all over the world. Our world is actually more digitally dependent and having digital literacy is a requirement for full participation in society. It's kind of a non-negotiable. However, girls globally have less access to devices and to the Internet than boys. So this is what I was talking about, the digital divide. So the divide in access, um, skills and learning available to boys and girls um, that often will then go on forward into life and create um, further barriers for women to achieve success and parity and equality. So the bad news is there is a digital divide. It exists all over the world and it's actually increased in the last seven years. Boo. Right. No good. We want to definitely look at what's going on there and what do we need to do to redress that. Additionally, of course, there are barriers for all young people rooted in economic and racial disparities, as well as for young people with disabilities. So um, even in wealthier countries, uh, more technologically developed countries, um, there are still adaptability and accessibility issues. This is not something that um, everyone has kind of an equal playing field on at all. We also know the girls face the additional pitfalls of a sometimes, mostly, often, a lot of the time, <laughs> toxic social media world. And that world we know perpetuates an unhealthy focus of a singular, thin, white European standard of beauty, which of course doesn't represent the vast majority of girls in the world. And quite frankly, it still represents an issue of a focus on the surface and on appearance, a preoccupation with that, um, kind of the negative social effects that can come with all of that, um, all of which derail girls from actually achieving their, their goals, moving forward in their future, discovering themselves and feeling confident in who they are um, and becoming everything that they want to be. Many around the world, including girls from poor households, can't even participate, as I mentioned a second ago. So if they don't have access, if they don't have the tools, and if they don't have the skills, um, this is a dire disadvantage. And it's and it perpetuates again across marginalized groups as well. Um, and it's becoming more alarming as it kind of exacerbates those inequalities. So, you know, it looks pretty bad. <laughs> and it is. And 
there are always things to be done. Um, there's a, a wonderful statement from the UN Women Executive Director, um, Pumzile Mlambo Nuka, and Plan International CEO Anne Bridget Albrechtson in a recent op-ed. And that quote I really liked, COVID-19 has been the most disruptive global force in a generation. And where there is disruption, there is the potential to rebuild, reimagine, and create a radically better world. Wow. Yes. Yes. Right? It's when there is some disruption and some change and upheaval that we can create and imagine something different. And who better than amazing young women leaders, activists, um, powerful voices, right? And in fact, despite all of these challenges and this current time that we're dealing with, girls are at the forefront of innovation and creativity when it comes to technology, the internet, activism. Girls are finding ways to connect like never before. They're using digital tools to communicate, to create, and to mobilize around the things they care about. Around the world, girls are developing new code and apps. They're using social media platforms to support digital literacy, like really upsetting our normal understanding of social media and doing cool, amazing, creative things with it. Um, They're finding ways to create uh, opportunities to bridge the urban-rural divide which we see here in the States, such a big issue, right? Who has access? Where is their broadband? There's a big divide between urban and rural communities. And there are girls out there doing work on this very issue. They're using gaming and other platforms to carve out safe community spaces with each other, which is so fantastic. Seeing girls um, take ownership of even some of the areas of play and exploration like Minecraft and online gaming and really start to assert that and say, we have a place here too and we're going to claim it. And then building community all over the world with other girls. Um, and so much more. We're seeing girls getting engaged in robotics. We're seeing girls find ways to share their art um, through online spaces. So they are our leaders. They are our powerful advocates. And nowhere maybe more is that more clearly seen um, than around issues of things like education and the environment. I want to hear and share with you a little clip from Malala Yousafzai's uh, Nobel Prize acceptance speech. Um, no one can speak better about the importance of children's education, possibly than Malala, um, one of my personal heroes and definitely an inspiration at Ophelia's place. Um, so here she is. Dear brothers and sisters, I was named after the inspirational Malala of my one, who is the Pashtun Joan of Arc. The word Malala means grief-stricken sad. But in order to lend some happiness to it, my grandfather would always call me Malala, the happiest girl in the world. And today, I'm very happy that we are together fighting for an important cause. This award is not just for me. It is for those forgotten children who want education. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. I'm here to stand up for their rights, to raise their voice. It is not time to pity them. 
It is not time to pity them. It is time to take action. So it becomes the last time. The last time. So it becomes the last time that we see a child deprived of education. People describe me in many different ways. Some people call me the girl who was shot by the Taliban, and some the girl who fought for her rights. Some people call me a Nobel laureate now. However, my brothers still call me that annoying bossy sister. As far as I know, I'm just a committed and even stubborn person who wants to see every child getting quality education, who wants to see women having equal rights, and who wants peace in every corner of the world. Yes, Malala, we love you so much. Um, she has been such a force to come through her life experiences. Um, the very real, I mean, an attempt on her own life um, and has just been uh, a beacon of what is possible when young women have an education, when young women are encouraged to be themselves and to speak up. And she's doing really powerful work to make sure that um, we keep up this work to get everyone an education. Every child deserves that. Um, and every young woman should be able to learn uh, equally. And of course, hopping on over to um, another really powerful voice. A lot of us know about Greta Thunberg, right? We've seen clips of her speeches. Um, maybe we know, okay, she's the young woman from Sweden who's super passionate about ending our use of fossil fuels and saving the planet. Great. Yes. I would say one of the things that is most potent to me about Greta is she is unapologetic. She is fierce. She is willing to call out adults on the places where we fail. And she doesn't do it from a place of um, disparagement, but rather a fairness of, of really making us look and say, um, we have a responsibility. And we have a debt that we owe to future generations. And uh, I think her willingness to name that and to be fierce and to make us listen, especially those powerful people um, that hold office and have other roles of governance, she is willing to say what needs to be said. Um, it doesn't make people comfortable. And we also know that the best and most effective growth comes when we are uncomfortable. So here's uh, Greta speaking. My name is Greta Thunberg. I am 15 years old and I'm from Sweden. I speak on behalf of climate justice now. Many people say that Sweden is just a small country and it doesn't matter what we do. But I've learned that you are never too small to make a difference. And if a few children can get headlines all over the world just by not going to school, then imagine what we could all do together if we really wanted to. 
But to do that, we have to speak clearly, no matter how uncomfortable that may be. You only speak of green, eternal economic growth because you are too scared of being unpopular. You only talk about moving forward with the same bad ideas that got us into this mess, even when the only sensible thing to do is pull the emergency brake. You are not mature enough to tell it like it is. Even that burden you leave to us children. But I don't care about being popular. I care about climate justice and a living planet. Our civilization is being sacrificed for the opportunity of a very small number of people to continue making enormous amounts of money. Our biosphere is being sacrificed so that rich people in countries like mine can live in luxury. It is the sufferings of the many which pay for the luxuries of the few. The year 2078, I will celebrate my 75th birthday. If I have children, maybe they will spend that day with me. Maybe they will ask me about you. Maybe they will ask why you didn't do anything while there still was time to act. You say you love your children above all else, and yet you are stealing their future in front of their very eyes. Until you start focusing on what needs to be done, rather than what is politically possible, there is no hope. We cannot solve a crisis without treating it as a crisis. We need to keep the fossil fuels in the ground and we need to focus on equity. And if solutions within this system are so impossible to find, then maybe we should change the system itself. We have not come here to beg world leaders to care. You have ignored us in the past and you will ignore us again. We have run out of excuses and we are running out of time. We have come here to let you know that change is coming, whether you like it or not. The real power belongs to the people. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, Greta. Yes. So uh, a couple of the times I remember early on when I saw speeches with her, I literally got goosebumps. Um, and I'm so proud <laughs> that we are in a place where we can hear this voice. And I hope that we all will really listen. So Greta's amazing. Love her. Um, I love her integrity. I also love the way she's spoken about um having an autism diagnosis and how, you know, earlier in her life, that was a source of bullying um, and a sense of feeling really different in ways that didn't feel good, um, but has now really had the perspective to see it as her superpower. Um, Her ability um, to think differently has made her who she is and has allowed her this voice um, to speak about issues that really matter. So I really admire that as well. Another young woman I would like to highlight uh, Autumn Peltier, um, who's actually from Canada, and she is a First Nations Anishinaabe uh, young woman, and she is a, a water protector, a water warrior. Um, and 
you know, in the last few years, maybe it started to percolate up in people's consciousness that um, water water is a big deal. Um, not just that water is, in fact, life. We need it to live. We need it for our Earth to live. But it is something that does need to be protected, uh, that there are not always good choices being made about keeping water clean and safe and accessible for all people. And, and in her culture, and the way she'll talk about it in a minute, um, water is also sacred. It has a very sp- special, specific cultural place, and one that I think is worth us listening to and hearing about um, and recognizing the ways in which we need to honor water um, that is, in fact, is our life. Um, so I'm going to let her speak. I need to get right into this message so you feel where I'm coming from. I can't stress enough what I have learned about the water from my elders in our ceremonies. Many people don't think water is alive or has a spirit. My people believe this to be true. There are studies now that prove this. We believe our water is sacred because we are born of water and live in water for nine months. When the water breaks, new life comes. But even deeper than that, we come from our mother's water and her mother's water and so on. All the original water flows through us from the beginning and all around us. Where I come from, I'm so fortunate I could still drink the water from the lake. But sometimes I question it. Not far from where I live, there are communities that have lived through boil water advisories. I ask myself, why is it this way and why in my province? Why in my country? I didn't really understand this because I always hear of the problems in other countries around the world having no water or very polluted water. I really started to think. My mind wondered and thought, what if we ran out of water? I didn't really understand this because I always hear the problems in other countries around the world having no water or very polluted water. What will happen? Then I got scared. This is serious and it's all over the world. Water is the lifeblood of Mother Earth. Whether it's frozen in the form of rain or clouds and rivers, lakes and oceans, water is around us and sustains us all. Everything is connected to this issue of clean water and this impacts our health and well-being. These thoughts bring me to a story shared by my grandfather about the water, the world in our language that says, Ode Nang. We use this word when we say we are going to town or the city, but it really means where your heart is. My heart is in our land and our water. My heart is where I come from. Ask yourself where your heart is. Where is your spirit? My heart and spirit is where my community is and where my ancestors are buried, where the water is fresh and I can drink from the lake. My grandfather told me to remind everyone where your heart is. As we need our land to live, and we can't be here without the land and the water, we are all connected. My heart is not for sale, and neither is our water and our lands. So now, here we are all together on March 22nd on World Water Day at the United Nations. We are here to launch the International Decade for Action, Water for Sustainable Development. My first thought is I will be 23 years old in 2028. In my mind, I have taken a photo of where we are today, where we are at with various issues surrounding our water. My snapshot doesn't feel good in terms of pollution, climate change, pipelines breaking, recycling, sanitation, poverty, hunger, and illnesses related to these issues. All I can do is keep helping my auntie educate others and share a story of how we need to respect Mother Earth and need to honor our sacred water. One day, I will be an ancestor, and I want my great-grandchildren to know I tried hard to fight so they can have clean drinking water. 
Our water deserves to be treated as human with human rights. We need to acknowledge our waters with personhood so we can protect our waters. Our water should not be for sale. We all have a right to this water as we need it. Not just rich people, all people. No one should have to worry if the water is clean or if they will run out of water. No child should grow up not knowing what clean water is or never knowing what running water is. Mr. President, we need to work together. Now is the time to warrior up and empower each other to take a stand for our planet. We need to sustain the little we have now and develop ways not to pollute the environment and sustain relationships with Mother Earth and save what we have left. I hope to keep my heart in a good place so I can come back and see how much we all have improved with our promise to Mother Earth. Let's not let water and Mother Earth down. Miigwech. Thank you. So Autumn was 13 when she gave that speech. Um, very moving, very brave. In fact, um, all of these young women, one of the things that strikes me about them is their courage. You know, um, to be young to begin with, and then also female, you're you're already not as powerful and certainly not in these spaces that they're willing to go into, speaking in front of hundreds of people, speaking in front of world leaders, um, the UN. They are remarkable. They will always be remarkable, but they are especially remarkable for having found that solid ground to stand on and that fire inside to do this when they were young and often disparaged. These young women, you know, videos of them speaking their truth and calling us to action and sharing their wisdom. Um, and then the disparagement that comes is so much often, so often is about their youth and their gender. So, um, you know, hats off to these courageous women. And there we're celebrating and they're more well known, right? There's um, millions of others that we never hear from. Uh, girls who are finding places of courage in their own lives, um, in small ways that may never be recognized, speaking up for themselves, advocating for themselves, trying something that um, doesn't fit in the box, right, or isn't as well accepted by their family or their community, um, standing up for someone who has uh, less power, right, being those brave protectors in lots of little ways, um, making choices about who they want to be and affirming that into the world. So. There are a lot of invisible heroes, too. And I guess I just want to remind us of that. We as adults need to have a lot of compassion and we also need to take some action. And that's what I again, I love about these voices kind of calling us out and calling us forward is to say we are the adults in the community. We are the adults in society and we need to be looking and uplifting girls. We need to be listening to them when they tell us what they need, when they tell us that they have ideas, when they give direction about what the future should look like. Right. And we need to listen when they need help. You know, take take time. Look around you. Who are the girls in your life? What might they have to offer when we kind of get out of our heads and, and can listen? What do they need? What do they have to offer? When I think about International Day of the Girl, I guess that's what I want to remember is that there are young women all over the world with tremendous potential. They are our future politicians, our future innovators, our future artists, um, parents, everything. And they have within them the seeds to do tremendous work to transform societies. But they need us to make the space for them to do that. So on the one hand, us stepping out of the way. They also need us to offer the appropriate support. They are young. 
they do have fewer opportunities and advantages. So that's where adults have the the role to to uplift, right? And to offer what we can. We need to also be really open to things that don't feel familiar. Um, their their creativity and their possibility are the very things that, you know, in 20 years, <laughs> that's going to be the new technological innovation, or that's going to be the policy that protects, you know, water. That's, you know, these these young women, these girls around us are the ones who have within them everything that's going to generate what our future world looks like. So pay attention, turn towards them, listen, give them our respect, um, our care, our compassion, um, give them the space, help them understand how to use their voice. Um, we have a role here. I invite you to use this day as an invitation to Help a girl in your life. Listen, help her with your homework, um, connect her to a resource, whatever it takes. Maybe she just needs a hug. But just remember, um, you know, we should be doing this all the time. But uh, again, sometimes even one day allows us a moment to pause, think, reflect and make a choice. And so how do you want to help a girl today? I guess that's my question. So after hearing the voices of all these incredible, inspiring young women, I also want to talk to another inspiring woman to me, my wonderful colleague, uh, Laura Sanchez at Ophelia's Place, and talk a little bit about kind of her experience, the place she comes from, um, what she brings to the work, uh, and more. Thanks so much for having me, River. Uh, my name is Laura Sanchez. Um, I am the vice president of programs here at Ophelia's Place. I have been here. Um, a little over nine years, and it has been it has been great. Uh, my responsibility is to um, supervise staff and have some oversight over our direct service programming, um, ensuring that um, it continues to align with our values and we are meeting the needs of the youth that we that we work with. You know, I know a little bit about the work you did before you came to Ophelia's Place, and you actually traveled from Missouri, but I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that kind of work and then maybe what pulled you towards wanting to be part of Ophelia's Place and the kind of work we do. Prior to moving to Oregon, I um, worked um, in St. Louis, Missouri at a children's advocacy center where I was a therapist working with, you know, ages birth to 18 um, and their caregivers, um, all all of which had experienced um, some form of trauma. Through that work, I was given the opportunity to be a lead therapist on a research project that was adapting um, a cognitive behavioral, behavioral therapy um, intervention to specific work with uh, girl-identified youth, particularly girls that were um, within the foster care system. That work was very impactful, just not, just not only having the privilege to work with a number of amazing youth. Um, but also that kind of solidified, you know, the direction in which I wanted to go with my career. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I guess being, being, having been a girl once too, and being able to relate on issues that um, youth experience in girlhood, um, I guess that's one reason, but also just, just that work really, I knew that I wanted to stay um, in, in gender-based work. I had no idea that an organization like o Ophelia's Place existed. Um, one in which um, the mission and the services were so holistic or so, I mean, it wasn't just, it's not just one, we don't just do one thing here. We're not just Definitely. 
after cool, after school site for for girls. Um, and so I told my partner, well, I have to work there. <laughs> uh, and it just so happened that I was given the opportunity. So you talked about the work that you'd done and, and getting clear that uh, gender focused services felt like something you were really called to. Um, I'm, I'm maybe going <laughs> to prompt you a little here, but I feel like you did so much work in trauma and intervention and Ophelia's places uh, has kind of a different focus being focused on prevention. Um, was that part of the appeal as well? Or how did that play out for you? Knowing, knowing the mission and knowing this and, and getting an understanding of the services that, that OP provides. Um, and that focus on prevention was quite appealing. Um, um, prior to my, prior to also coming here, I, I worked as a prevention specialist um, long ago um, <laughs> at a, um, within a, a domestic violence shelter. And I got to work with teens in schools um, talking about you know, educating on different topics, um, in, you know, in an effort of prevention of prevention of, of violence and, um, harassment and things like that. Uh, you had that experience with prevention. So it sounds like you'd had a, a little bit of a toe in the, in the water in terms of kind of the importance of that aspect of the work. Right. Yes. And I think, you know, great realization I've had over these, that my time here too, is like prevention, um, especially how we do prevention looks in so many different ways. I think, I think people have an idea of what that means. And then you look at the models of prevention and think like, well, that's a whole other story, right? Your secondary and your tertiary and all of that. But, um, you know, everything from the environment that we create out here in our space, um, to the language that we use, all of that is prevention. Absolutely. Um, And it's, it's, um, it's great. It's really great to be a part of that. Yeah. I think that, you know, so often the focus, you know, culturally, societally is, um, either on stuff has already happened and oh goodness, what do we do to zoom in and try to like fix the problem with young people or just the narrative that young people are a problem or that there's this heightened risk around it. Um, I do think that one of the things that's so beautiful about Ophelia's place is that that's not how we view the young people that come to us. Um, and we really see prevention as kind of a spectrum of mm-hmm. um, everything from, yeah, those sort of soft contacts when they come into the space, the language that we use in our in our um, promotion efforts, and then the actual, you know, underlying frameworks that we use for the work that we do. Um, and just recognizing that trauma is a thing that can happen to anyone. <laughs> yeah. um, so it isn't necessarily that we're assuming that, you know, everybody's, um, you know, damaged or in, in need of some sort of rescuing, but just rather like, how do we build up resilience and how do we create safe spaces for young people um, so they can, they can be their full selves. Exactly. Yeah. So um, what do you get most passionate about these days in the work? Uh, I was, you know, I think it's because this is so present for me. I am, a, I am a mother mm-hmm. of, of three girls, adorable girls, <laughs> brilliant girls. <laughs> They are ages three, five, and seven. Wow. And what is really present for me right now um, in, in the work is, is also in the, in the personal is, is I'm passionate um, about the focus on, on, on girls and, and how we are supporting them. Because I think about the world that I want my children to live in and, and be a part of and contribute to. Um, so I think that that definitely 
fuels me these days. <laughs> yeah. You know, I remember an exercise you did with the, the staff and interns a couple of years back as part of our training. And you had us um, kind of ground into our present bodies and selves and sort of think about the world right now as it is and what it's like to be a girl in this world, you know, in our, in our community, in our society and around the world. And, and it really assessed that kind of in ourselves and in our own experience. And then you had us visualize what would a world be like where every girl was safe and valued? Mm-hmm. What would it look like? What would it feel like? And I remember that being actually deeply moving. <laughs> like, it was a really powerful visualization because on the one hand there, I think there was some, some pain for sure around, we aren't there yet. There's still a lot of, of stuff that we carry with us as, as women who were girls, that there's a lot of um, reality around the barriers still that we're facing and the challenges still um, that girls and women are dealing with. But I also liked that there was this real idea around like envisioning and hoping for what we can build and that our energy can be directed to create that. Exactly. Yeah. I don't, you know, I'm passionate about the work, not just because that is a a vision so far off in the future, but because I want to contribute to the world that my kids will live in. I have to have that. I have to have that hope that they will live in a world where there will be no limitations um, that, you know, to pursuing their interests or their, or their passions. No one will tell them that they can't or they shouldn't. You know, I want them to be in a world where they are free from gender-based violence and discrimination. I think that's, you know, the, the powerful thing, um, Earlier in the show, there's some excerpts from uh, Malala Yousafzai talking about, you know, she was accepting her Nobel Prize and her focus on the right of children to education, but also what she represents as a as a young woman um, going through the kind of trauma she did and being such a powerful spokesperson. And then, of course, uh, Greta Thunberg, who's so fierce. Right. And I I talked about that, like she's such a fierce young voice and willing to call out adults on what we need to do to create and invest in that world that they are all inheriting regardless. And similarly with Autumn Peltier, she's talking about um, the need to protect water and to see the natural world as sacred and something shared by all of us. Um, And I just think of, you know, we as adults are super, we want young people to have a good life, you know, but they're already here and they're inheriting that. And, and we have an obligation, I think, to, to do what we can to create that better world and also to uplift them and hear them and hear their ideas and and support them. (laughs) They, I mean, well, they're the present, they are the future, they are tackling inequities and creating change every single day. You know, the, the constant amazement I have, um, not because I don't expect greatness from girls and from young people, but, um, just because it is inspiring, it is amazing what they come up with. The fact that I think it's, uh, us adults listening to them that we're going to get the best ideas that we're going to have the energy and the creativity to actually address these problems. Like you mentioned inequity and, um, and, and uh, all the divides based on gender and based on class and race and all these other things. So even in Ophelia's place, the girls that I'll be hanging out and, and drop in back when we hung out and drop in, <laughs> um, I would just hear things come out of their mouths that would just blow my mind. I mean, sometimes it was ideas and sometimes it was just their absolute boldness and willingness to speak the truth. Oh yeah. My, I'll tell you, my seven-year-old has a new problem (laughs) with that. Well, she, she is a rock star, honestly. She has so much going for her and of course, awesome parents that support her and being her own bold self. So (laughs) it's pretty great. 
I guess uh, also, you know, I, uh, the top part of the show was really talking about uh, International Day of the Girl Child or International Day of the Girl, as we call it here, October 11th. And I shared a little bit about the history, you know, um, that it it was kind of the the whole focus originally in, in 1995. They actually identified girls' rights as being something distinct and worthy of recognizing. And then in 2011, the whole UN ratified a certain motion to establish that the rights of girls and women are, are specifically addressed and, and valued. And that, you know, that really feels good to me just to have that piece um, specifically called out and to recognize that there are differences in the ways that girls globally are experiencing the world and, and that we need to maybe address that and do some things to, to bridge those divides. What's your kind of feeling around the importance of this kind of day of recognition or this movement or, or, or recognition um, of the rights of girls? Like, what does that speak to for you? I, I mean, I guess as a person at OP and also as a mother of three girls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, like it took until. Yeah. 10 years ago. Right. Uh, that just that blows my mind. I mean, this is why we exist. And it's because we understand and we recognize just the complexities and challenges and uniqueness of girlhood. We know from lived experience, from research, from observation, from, you know, being in touch with girls every day um, that these these barriers, as you said, are complex and nuanced and they're very real. And I think there's something about why did it take so long to to acknowledge that, but also how much work is still to be done Mm -hmm. that, you know, that certainly comes up for me. Well, yeah, and and I think in putting it in, in in terms of in terms of OP and our work here, I mean, we like we know like research tells us that like just confidence alone, right? Like confidence for girls drops. Mm-hmm. Is it thirty percent between between eight and fourteen? Yeah, between those ages. And so the things that we do that offers that support and that bolstering of confidence, or even just finding that confidence, um, and how imperative that is, because we know that this happens. Yeah. I think about too, you know, the op- different opportunities that we have within our, within our after and out of school program um, and, and how intentional we are about making sure to offer like STEM programming. Right. You know, because by the time girls are in college, you know, or reach college, women are significantly underrepresented in right. STEM majors. And that's happening all over the world. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think there is something about us and the work we do day to day. And then I think for this, this day, October 11th, that calls it out is, is really about recognizing it isn't limited to just our community or what we see, you know, in our schools that, that globally still, we see these differences and these, you know, everything from those kind of social emotional issues around confidence and assertiveness, all the way to threats of violence, um, restricted access to education, um, you know, I talked earlier in the show about what they call the digital divide. So um, the fact that it's so necessary for our global community, for young people to have uh, digital literacy, and yet that divide between boys and girls has actually grown in the last seven years. Having a day where we at least pause and reflect (laughs) and maybe think about what action we can take seems somehow important. Absolutely. Bring us back to the, yeah, this is not just... United States Day is international. Yeah. Day of the girl and thinking about how that will be talked about and what might, you know, we'll do within within the context of our family and what we'll 
discuss and what we'll do and what we'll share and then what OP does and, um, and I mean, individuals. And, yeah, I just think, you know, our, our, our youth are growing up way more connected and aware of what's happening, not just in their own state or country. Right. Um, and that's only going to increase. And that visibility of those differences, I think, is something that we need to be really conscious of. And how do we address them? And how do we help those youth who are, we know, care so deeply about these issues? You know, and, and also, let's not forget they happen at home. I mean, racial discrimination is happening in the U.S. and has for hundreds of years. Um, we still see that in 26 states, uh, child, technically child marriage, but minor marriage is still allowed. Um, you know, we see these discrepancies. So um, keeping the global perspective, but realizing that we aren't exceptional in that way, that these issues are at home as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, I thank you so much for your for your time and spending it chatting with me a little bit about what you do and why you care. <laughs> and you care a lot. I know we talk about how much we cry at OP because we're very <laughs> caring, emotional people. Um, I'm wondering if there's anything, any kind of final thought or anything you want to share about kind of um, what it means to really listen to girls and, and celebrate and, and attend to them yeah, on this I mean, day and I, every day. I, I said this before and you said this, I mean, girls are, girls are the future. We need to listen. We need to invest. We need to support unconditionally and celebrate them today, October 11th, every day, always. Um, you know, as we mentioned there, they're creating change every day. They are, they are doing the, they're doing the things. And yeah evidence by Malala, by Greta, by Autumn, by Marley, by all, you know, <laughs> it's really just us paying attention. Absolutely. Yeah. And creating the space for them to, to shine, which I think is kind of what we're all about. So thanks again, Laura. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for having me. I want to thank Laura Sanchez and the voices of Greta Thunberg, Malala Yousafzai, Autumn Peltier, all the other girls whose names we know and don't know who are changing the world right as we speak, lifting up their voices, going through struggles that we know and don't know. And I hope that you will join me in taking a moment on International Day of the Girl, October 11th, and doing something some small thing, some big thing, but just something to make space for girls, listen to girls, celebrate whatever moves you. Let's take that time. And I'm going to end today with just a, a little piece from one of my favorite authors, Ursula Le Guin. Part of this came from a speech that she was giving at a, a college graduation. But she says, when we women offer our experiences as our truth, a human truth, all the maps change. There are new mountains. That's what I want to hear you erupting. You young Mount St. Helenses who don't know the power in you, I want to hear you. Let's encourage our girls to erupt, to let their voices ring out, and then let's be sure that we listen. Thank you for joining me, River, and Ophelia's Place, right here on Girl Empowered. I'll talk to you next time, and remember, empowered girls change the world.